Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hey everyone, Josh here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Have you been to our website, fearscapepodcast.com? There you can check out our store with all of our awesome t-shirts, check out guests that have been on the show, listen to the podcast directly on the website, even donate and help us bring you awesome content. Please consider supporting us, fearscapepodcast.com. Hey everyone, Ray Robinson here, host of the Unsensitive Podcast. You're probably wondering, what does unsensitive mean? Well, it's a completely made-up word to define a topic that is insensitive to talk about at family gatherings and parties, but you talk about them anyway. It's a podcast that you can send your most clueless family members to save them the embarrassment of asking these questions themselves. New episodes drop every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., part of the Fearscape Media Network. Because quite honestly, what's scarier than facing your own misconceptions about the world around you? Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids, aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep into the fearscape, fearscape, fearscape. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special bonus episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. This is Stefan, one of your hosts from Fearscape, and we are getting close to the 100th episode of our show. And to celebrate, we are premiering a series of episodes called The Road to 100, Days Gone By, where we let you listen to episodes from Fearscape Past, from our old radio show, Fearscape FM, and more. And there may even be a few surprises, things that have never even been heard before. We hope you enjoy this archived episode of Fearscape, and remember, hold those blankets extra tight. The following program is presented for entertainment purposes. WCHQ does not necessarily endorse the ideas presented. Fearscape is a program that explores the legend and lore around many creepy and scary things. Information is researched and presented in an entertainment fashion and is presented based off of what we found. 
legends have a way of changing over time. So, beware. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another spooky edition of the Fears. horror. No, the fearscape, oh. not horrorscape. That the horrorscape. Yeah, that's the generic version of our show. Yeah, I found it on. Um, it wasn't even iTunes. It was YouTube. 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 Yeah. Uh, but yeah, here we are, fearscape. We are on one hundred point nine FM WCHQ as well as and the, Desti- the DNN. Yeah, the Destination Nation Network of podcasts. We're on there. Uh, we Good got things. a cool episode today because we started <sighs> last week with part one of the Amityville. House uh, yeah. dealing with the DeFeo murders. So this week we get to go to the popular section, which is yeah. the Amityville horror. So dealing with the Lutz family <laughs> and all that stuff that was essentially a media sensation and put Ed and Lorraine Warren on the map. And uh, a crazy rabbit hole if you ever want to dive down it, because later on the episode we'll talk about a lot of the movie adaptations that came from this. And it's like. They get so far off oh, kilter. Oh, they get so far off. You know, and I was going through your research, and I saw there's even more low-budget movies that have come out just tacking on Amityville to it. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it's yeah the, insane. these are the ones that actually have, like, legitimate like, legit ratings and right. stuff like that. Like, you can go to Rotten Tomato and look them up and get, oh, like, man. all that stuff. So, uh, let's get moving on. Uh, yeah, because you got another fun spooky news. So, let's go ahead and head right into spooky news. One million people, one million people are now planning. It's probably higher than that. I haven't looked at it recently. This was like as of a couple days ago. Yeah, it was one million one, people. One million people are planning to, quote unquote, raid Area 51. Now, I will say this, okay? And my, my, my boss, who's a musician, said it best. He said, it, it's, like, it's like sending out a Facebook event. Uh, when you do theater, improv, or or you have a band, and you know a uh, million people say they're coming to your show, that means there will be twelve people there drinking water. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's fine because that's that's probably going to be safer. But no, it's them. getting crazy, right? They're saying people are saying they're going to live stream it. There's a company that's going to live stream it. Uh, what's his name? Guy Ferrari's going to feed people. He's oh, going gosh. out there now. He said he's going to go out there and feed people, so he'll be there with food. Uh, what else did I see? Um, oh, do you see the military has been like Air Force is like, we will shoot you. Yeah, they're like, guys, <laughs> guys, this we've already told you what this is. It's a it's where we test private and top secret aircraft experiments. Do not come here. We will shoot you. Dude, could you imagine the media mess if this really happens? And all these people with smartphones filming all these people getting shot by the government. Like, and, oh my God, dude. I mean, maybe I'm just numb from playing video games all my life or seeing horror movies or doing this show and this research. But I'm like, you kind of asked for it when all the warning signs there. It's like walking onto somebody's property where the guy introduces himself as soon as you walk across the lines. Mm-hmm. Like, hi, my name is George. Uh, if you step across this property, I'm going to shoot you with this gun. And you go ahead and step across the property and they shoot you with the gun. He's like, I just told you I was going to do I that. I mean, they have to know. The whole reason they said if there's this many of us, they can't stop us. That, so they, they have can. to know that that means some people are going to die. Um, but the the best part is I haven't seen an interview with the guy that created the event yet. But if you look at his his original World's event. biggest troll. The, he, his thing says, if we Naruto run together. If we Naruto run. If a bunch of us Naruto run at the same time, we should be or able Naruto to get there. Run. You know what I mean? It's like, I want 
want an interview with this guy to be like, I didn't expect this to go this far. <laughs> but at this point, it has to happen. Like, there is so much hype behind this, and there are people that are going to go. It's going to, like, whether it just turns out to be worth, like, they're a mile away from Area 51 and a new festival starts every year is what I feel like it's going to happen. Oh, but it's going to be, like, the new Burning Man, but it's going to be out, like, every year these people meet, and like, a mile from Area 51. Is it, is it called Groom Lake or Gloom Lake? I don't remember. I think it's Groom Lake. Groom Lake. It's going to be, like, the new... the. Gr- Groom Lake uh, Saucer Festival. Something. It's that's going to be that, a big independent honestly, thing. Honestly, that's what I think is going to happen. It's like a Burning Man. They're going to burn a giant, like, epiche of an alien. Because that's my thing. I think that the military knows this is going to happen, and so they're already going to set a huge perimeter up, probably <laughs> miles in advance, and you're not even going to be able to get close. And there's going to be, like, the 12 people that show up are going to be like, oh, hey, we didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. Hey, is that guy Fieri? Yeah. Oh, man. Get them that sauce. Yeah. This is and then everybody's going to come together because Guy Fieri gave, like, the uh, the military people, the uh, the Naruto runners, as well as the aliens gave them all <laughs> food. Like, everybody's just eating Guy Fieri's this is food. This is how disclosure is going to happen. You're going to have this video on, like, CNN of Guy Fieri, like, <laughs> sauce boss, handing out sliders, just handing out sliders. Then in the background, you're going to see, like, a, uh, like a Bigfoot-esque walking of a like a giant gray alien just walking by with a slider in his hand smiling and everybody's gonna be like so they are real (laughs) it just took guy freaking fieri to resolve this he's gonna be the next president of the united states i mean all this (laughs) (laughs) somebody made a fake uh, a fake donald trump tweet they did a photoshop and it was so funny because if he had actually tweeted this i'd probably be like a lot more in support of some of his (laughs) ideals but it was like the first the the first rule of invading Area 51 is you don't talk about invading yeah, Area 51. Exactly. <laughs> Have you guys not watched Fight Club? Yeah. You don't do this. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's move on because we got a big story, but that was uh, spooky news. Well, I, I am going to watch the watch party. I am too. Just because I want to get to the uh, the party here, talking about Amityville, we're going to move right into spooky news because I do have an or not spooky news. Uh, we're going to move right spooky into catch up. spooky catch up. Dang it, creepy, creepy catch up. Creepy news. Creepy catch up. 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 Y'all, it's creepy. Horror news. So I, so I told you I had another one. So this is all dealing with me. Another knee surgery? Uh, no, dear God, no. Um, another uh, paranormal instance that happened to me at my house after the surgery. So yeah, uh, you know, I, I I've had more than one. I've had more than one. Um, Night hag, of course, but they've all been kind of similar, poking and prodding at my knee and stuff like that, or just kind of being around. It's, it's been mostly nightly. Nothing as scary as that first night, though. Um, but the other day, uh, well, not the other day. So this is the first week. So the first couple days, I couldn't I couldn't even get up on the crutches. I mean, I just I couldn't the crutches because of the nerve block. You couldn't crutches. get up on the crutches. Crutches. No, I'm, I heard crutches. They were I, well, with. I couldn't get up on those either. Um, but I couldn't get on my crutches very well. And so um, I basically uh, urinated in a bottle for a few days like because I couldn't get up. And so I finally was able to get up. I'm and leaving. <laughs> sorry, dude. Dude. Welcome to Nisa. This is reality. 
Um, but you know, I finally was able to get up and around, and I, I was um, able. At least to you didn't have to poop in a bucket. No, good God, no. Um, so I, I was able to use the restroom by myself, mm-hmm. and uh, so Sarah and Paul had left. I think this was Fourth of July, actually, because they both worked that day and I did not. Mm-hmm. And so I get up, I go to the restroom, and uh, I'm like, "Cool, I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna stand urinate, right? Like, oh yeah. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna do this, man. Big boy status. And while I'm like going, I feel something tickle me. You're right on your leg. Like I feel something tickle me and I'm like what? in my armpits and like my sides and I'm like what the heck man and I'm on crutches like it's not my crutches like whatever but I let it you know I didn't yeah. think anything I finished up and I get done and I turn around after I flush I turn around to head out the door and something pushes me and I fall and I don't know if I told you that I fell into my tub. But I fell into I my never, tub. I never I just, heard about the fall. Into I just the tub. haven't told anybody that I fell into my tub paranormally. I heard the, about um, the garden. Yeah, the garden. This was, you know, uh, a couple days later, of course. Wait, do you have a garden tub and you're just mixing? No. The okay. This I fell into my bathtub because something shoved me. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get hurt because I grabbed the shower curtain. We always keep it closed, and it kind of slowed my fall. Uh-huh. But it did bend my brace and stuff like that. Well, I couldn't get out of the tub, and so I was in there, probably twenty minutes. Paul and Sarah's gone. And yeah. so I'm like, I, my phone's in the other room. So I'm like, I'm going to be here all day. The first <laughs> one to get home was like four hours from then. I was like, I'm going to be in this tub I'm all sorry day. to laugh. This is just No, it is funny. Stuff. It is funny, though. And I'm like, I'm going to be stuck in this tub all day. This is and I start life. to feel the tickle again. And uh-huh. I was like, no, no, no. And so that was enough to get me to like after 20 minutes, I found like the strength of the gods. And I got up out of this tub somehow. <laughs> And uh, I try to get out my door, and I can't get out. No tickets. Like, it feels like someone's pushing against it, but it opens towards me, so it means someone is in there pushing towards it. And so, like, I did some Reiki, and I threw a circle real quick, opened Uh with ease. And I was like, all right. (laughs) And so that day, I mean, I I got some sage, lit it where I was. I mean, the whole nine yards and cleansed my house because I was like, this is done. (laughs) I, I, I I cleansed my house last week. Good. I brought home some Palo Santo from Florida. Yeah, and, uh, I love Palo Santo. Dude, it's it's interesting what happens when your cat decides to take a big whiff of Palo Santo. Mm-hmm. Dude, it was like she's on a whole nother high. She's like, oh my God, <laughs> I can see the spirits of my ancestors. <laughs> they're, I can see eight of my nine lives. They're just, they're just booping their own noses. What's this? But yeah, so that's what happened to me. I fell, I think, paranormally, got yeah. blocked in and tickled and weird. It was weird. I I, th- I think it was uh, I think it was nerves. It was either nerves or I brought something home with me from the hospital. I mean, who knows? Well, you you are an empath, so things are right. I was to still you. on medication too, yeah. so there's. So I mean, I was on uh, oxycodone, really. so there's a possibility. I mean, it's what it was a very small dose, one like uh-huh. a lot, but I mean, it definitely. Yeah. Who knows? Keeps who you, knows? Keeps you from shielding, but yeah, if you're not in your right mind. Do you got any creepy ketchup? Um. All right, <laughs> and that was Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Ketchup. Y'all, it's creepy. All right, let's dig into this, B. I'm ready. We, uh, like we said, we talked last week about the DeFeo murders, the family that lived in the home of Amityville. Uh, house high hopes yeah, uh, yeah before yeah. the Lutz family came in there and got famous uh, and he murdered his entire family his entire family his entire either family. via demonic possession via drug rage yep. via 
Uh, I think there's also rumors of him being schizophrenic. Oh yeah, I, I was watching a doc on it, Schizos. and they were they were talking about like they they tried the insanity plea, and they were mm-hmm. like, nope, no. They Even do. though I mean, who knows? Drugs and insanity. Who knows? But yeah, he's he's weird. He, he was still talking, like does interviews, and he's just a weird, strange yeah, guy. He's, he's still in jail. Yeah, still just hanging out. So, but anyways, what do we got this week? So this week, a lot of our information comes from AmityvilleFiles.com, which I recommend anybody that wants to see, like, photos of the house, photos mm-hmm. of the murders, newspaper clippings. Like, this website has it all. This is, this is a great deep dive if you just want to spend six hours staring. And then AmityvilleMurders.com, uh, I use them a lot here, going into kind of the hoax aspect of it. As well as some of the court cases. Yeah, that we came talked across. about uh, this website last episode mm-hmm. as well. It's a very good. Very <laughs> yeah, good I, mentioned, I mentioned it last episode, and then I realized that was not the website I used. Well, I used <laughs> it when I talked about the seventh body and stuff. Yeah. So it, it was definitely uh, used. It's a great oh, website. Which we said we'd give everybody an update on the seventh body. Uh, I did research. Found nothing other than just the rumor there was a seventh body. Yeah, that I try. I tried to find the doc to mm-hmm. watch it. Um, it's on Amazon, but it's, it says unavailable, and so I couldn't even like get it there. Uh, and okay. so, I, the only way to get it is to buy it. So, and it looked from the trailer I watched, it looked pretty low budget. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. it's alright. It's just somebody trying to capitalize on the story. Yeah, what it comes for down sure, to. for sure. So during the summer of 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz went to visit 112 Ocean Avenue, a beautiful three-story Dutch colonial set on the Amityville Riverside. Picture it, Sicily. I mean, Amityville. We looked at about 50 homes over the months that we decided to combine the households, says George in a 2005 interview. And uh, when the uh, realtor showed it to us, she said, I don't know if I should tell you now or after you've seen the house, but this was the house that the DeFeo murders took place in. We kind of looked at each other like we weren't sure what she was talking about. And then she reminded us about Ronald DeFeo having killed his whole family. It had been in the newspapers about a year before. Now, after taking time to discuss this matter over with her children, uh, George and Kathy decided to purchase 112 Ocean Avenue, feeling they could live with its tragic past. The Lutz's family was set to move in on December 18th, 1975. Now, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, you know, like Ed was talking yeah. about how Louisville has a murder house and things like that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I just don't know house. that I could. I mean, it's bad enough to be like, oh, someone just died here. Like, you know, somebody's grandmother died here. You're like, man, I already know that somebody's grandmother's going to be haunting me. But an entire family shot in a brutal way, like... Well, now I'm wondering if Louisville's murder house is just Ed's house, and he just gave it a cool nickname. Oh, man. That's I mean, he's, creepy, He's dude. the one that told oh us about God. it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you to- uh, I told you that his grandmother uh, was the one that created, uh, was it Heaven Hill? Yeah, he told both of us, and I got super hyped and became a fanboy, because Heaven Hill <laughs> happens to be one of my favorite spirits. <gasps> spirits. <laughs> murder house. But no, yeah, I mean... There's a lot of speculation and rumor that George knew well of the murders in this house before he even showed it to his sure. wife. Yeah, I think and, I told you that, that in yeah. my Amityville horror, he the kid talks about that a lot, too, is that his dad yeah. or his stepdad was super into all that stuff. Yeah, and I mean, if you know, if I was more into the paranormal than I already am, I I would buy the house, but not with the intention of living in it. Right, and so I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say I hate that George gets, uh, like, that 
because mm-hmm. I always hate that. It's like, oh, well, it's like if I were to buy a house and it turns out haunted, I hate to be like, well, he's a host of a paranormal radio show, so obviously he's making it up. We're like, yeah. no, it just happened to happen. Like, I mean, if, yeah. if what George says is true, that he didn't know about it, mm-hmm. He was just looking for deals. And when you look at people who are skeptics into bunkers, the first thing they're going to do is jump at anything. Oh, oh, well, if he believes in the paranormal, he must have already known about this. That's right. why I bought the house. Yeah. But we don't know. I mean, I've always said that. I've always thought that was weird, that that skeptic belief that these people did it for money and fame. Yeah. I'm like, do you know how crazy that is to convince your whole family to be like, hey, guys, we're going to pretend that there's a ghost in the house. I'm going to punch you in the face a number of times to make it look like this happened and this happened. We're going to scare <laughs> the heck out of our kids. We're going to do all this because there's a one percent chance we might get famous and it you just gotta, seems stupid to and me. this this was during like pretty much the height of the satanic panic oh for sure right. for sure so like, do go ahead i was just saying mid 70s to uh mid 80s satanic yeah. panic yeah. anyways i'm sorry go ahead nah do you boo <laughs> due to the property's grim reputation a friend of george's suggests the house should be blessed by a catholic priest I was a Methodist, so this was new and foreign to me at the time. Recalls George. Father Ray showed up shortly after we were in the process of moving in. <laughs> I waved, he waved, and he went on in the house and went about blessing it. When he was done, I tried to pay him, but he wouldn't take the money. He said, no, you don't charge for this, and you don't charge friends for this. Well, I thought that was a very kind thing to say, and then he said, you know, I felt something really strange in that one room upstairs, that bedroom. And he described that bedroom. And we said that that's what we were going to use as a sewing room. Well, we weren't going to use it as a bedroom. He said, well, that's good as long as no one sleeps in there. And that's all he said. And he left. Now, around this time, strange occurrences began almost immediately. Cold spots were discovered in random spots throughout the house. Eerie vibes pervaded the atmosphere. Jolting sounds would wake the family during the night. And the escalating chain of events took their toll on the Lutzes, resulting in just drastic personality changes. George, who began to seclude himself from the family, obsessed over the fireplace that never seemed to warm him enough. So this man is sitting there in front of the fireplace like, more logs, more logs. That's one thing I love about the original movie, like... James Brolin really hits that well. Oh, like, yeah. Just that being cold. Because, man, I, I, a lot of people get mad when they're hot. I get mad when I'm cold. So <laughs> I, like, I completely understand that. I'm like, yeah. I get crusty, man, when I'm cold. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I, I love when I'm cold. Oh, That's not me. Not me. I like being warm. See, my wife's the opposite. So in the mornings, she gets up before me for work, like, by, like, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So she'll turn off my fans. And, like, my last 10 minutes of sleep is just miserable. See, I like being cool. Like, I love being cooled off. But I don't like having to warm up. It drives me nuts. It takes forever. and it, <laughs> You just got to focus on the inner chakra and bring it on the outside, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, George wasn't the only one. Kathy was also undergoing a series of unnerving events. Um, on more than one occasion, she described being touched by an unseen person. And most drastically, Kathy claims that after waking from a deep sleep... Her face was that of an old hag that took hours to dissipate. Oh, hours? Hours. Now that's creepy. Now, if it was just like out of the like corner of your eye, you know, thing, but who Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's creepy, man. And I wonder if that uh if that uh thing that touched her tickled her. That's, that's all I want to know. I just want to You just want to know if there's tickles. I just want to know if there's tickles. I want to know if there's tickles. tickles. Ghost Were there tickles? tickles? You get tickles. tickles? Now, even the Lutz's children began to argue more than usual. Um, as we know in the research we've done, paranormal activity 
causes mood changes drastically in children. Oh, yeah. More than adults, especially if yep. they're closer to puberty. Now, what this did is it uh, resulted in terrible beatings from their parents. 70s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that was my household. That was Shoot. my household, too. Sorry, Dad. You're Dad, a Dad went to got the belt, and he had a big old uh, Ruger metal buckle on it. And oh. Depending on what you did, you might get the Ruger. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I still have that buckle in my closet. <laughs> oh, no, your poor dog. <laughs> well, well d- Dad's gone, but I feel like if I keep it there, his spirit can't grab it. <laughs> so I'm safe. <laughs> now, the youngest child, Misty, uh, described speaking to a, quote, an angel that was living in her room. Now, this angel, Missy claims, was named Jody. Jody was able to present itself as a large pig to Missy and change shape and form at will. George and Kathy claim to have witnessed two red eyes peering in at them from the upstairs bedroom window. Missy believed it was Jody wanted to come inside. Now, I watched this documentary the other day, and, uh, you know, it's interesting watching these documentaries because, you know, they they bring that one person Mm -hmm. that knows Ronnie DeFeo, and they're like, he would have never done that. We were at his house all the time. His dad never laid hands on him. Mm -hmm. They didn't beat. And then, like, another documentary I watched, they were coming from a different angle, so they found that one friend that was like, oh, man, Ronnie was was messed up. Their dad, it was just beat, getting beat all the time. Uh, But in one of the ones that I had seen. They had a guillotine in the attic. uh, The neighbor, uh, the Irish family, I think. I can't remember what their name was, but the the family next door from the DeFeos, they had a big old huge fluffy cat that was black and loved to sit in the windows of the High Hopes house Mm. um, a lot. And so there are some people that think that is the eyes that they saw based off the light that reflects in your cat's eyes will change its color. Yeah. And so so that's one thing I heard in terms of a skeptic thing that I was kind of like. Okay, I can buy that one. That yeah. it might have been that neighbor's cat that was an outdoor cat, and it was a big fluffy cat. And you big, see, big, huge, the and it was a it, it was a Persian, so it had the smushy face, yeah. so it kind of looked more like a pig. That, that, could, that could be easily debunked. And yep. Put so, it on the skeptic but I just wanted side. to throw that out. No, there. I like that. I had yep. never heard of that. Yep. All right, now we're going into George again. All right. I just didn't want to leave the house. We would invite people over instead of going to see them. There came a point where we would invite people over to see whether we were crazy or not. Because when our friends sat in the kitchen, they could hear the people walking around upstairs after the kids had been put to bed. We'd all go up and find the kids fast asleep. There was no way it was the kids. And when your friends confirm that for you, you almost want to break down and say out loud, I'm not crazy, they hear it too. That is such an emotional moment when someone else confirms for you what you're hearing and that it's not just you hearing it, it's not your imagination. Coming back to 112 Ocean Avenue, the families that I found had resided in the dwelling place appear to have calamity within each one. Recalls Kathy. Now what I think, what is really fascinating about George is... He's the, he's, he, at this point, he's sounding like that. I'm not crazy. You're crazy. I'm not crazy. You're mm-hmm. crazy. No one else is crazy. I'm not crazy. You're the one that's crazy for thinking that I'm crazy. You're crazy because you think I'm crazy? Well, you're crazy because of that craziness. We're having another kid. I named it crazy. <laughs> now, the final night the Lutz family spent in the house was, in George's own words, the reason not to stay there anymore. I was lying in bed and everyone was asleep. And Kathy lifts up off the bed and starts to slide away from the bed and away from me. 
I feel something get in the bed with us. I'm unable to move. I hear the kids' beds continually slamming up and down on the floor and being dragged. We hear these pigeons on the air conditioner top overhead from the master bathroom. And they're fluttering all night long and yet there are no pigeons there the next morning. Or any nest or anything like that. The lights flickered. We brought the dog up to stay right by the bedroom. We tied him right to the doorknob and he's up going in circles and throwing up all night. Jeez. Yeah. The boys come down in the morning absolutely frightened. They were unable to get down to me, and I was unable to get up to them. Missy came in and just asked what was that all about, and Kathy had no memory of much of any of it. That day we spent trying to get a hold of Father Ray, and he said all the right words. The Lutzes fled the house the following afternoon on January 14th. 1976. So they didn't even make it a month. They didn't. And it's actually pretty interesting. I might have put it in here. I can't remember. Um, but a little fun fact is they were in there such a short amount of time. They never paid their... F- they, they hadn't even paid their first mortgage yet on the wow. house. But here's what's interesting. Um, so a lot of people say that the Lutzes couldn't afford the house. And that's why they made up the story to flee. If we look at it from that perspective. Sure. But the Lutzes paid on that house while not living in it for the next... I think it was like for almost a whole year. Until the house could be sold. Wow. So they were still paying the mortgage on that house, and that was not a cheap house. You got to think, the house cost like $69,000 then, so I'm just guesstimating. That's probably almost $200,000 house now. Yeah, I mean, I could look it up, um, but uh, that's the other thing. It's like, so they had to like live in hotels or whatever like, oh, yeah. for a while. I mean, like, so they had all these other expenses, so... Now, after fleeing the home in January of 76, uh, George and Kathy Lutz, with the assistance of Channel 5 News assistant Laura DiDidio, I like that name, DiDidio. Mm-hmm. She, she's, she's really cool. Contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren, a husband and wife team of self-proclaimed demonologists. The Warrens first entered 112 Ocean Avenue on February 24th, 1976. This is over a month after they Lutzes had fled the house. Right. And so that tells you that's how they were able to get in there because mm-hmm. the Lutz still in the house. So I did an inflation calculator. Uh, $69,000 in 1975 equals $328,000. Expensive house. Expensive. Expensive And house. so that was at a cheap deal. It was because of the murders that <laughs> happened in the house. It's funny to think like $328,000. Yeah. But I mean, you see the house. It's like th- four four levels. It's a beautiful like, house. It's got a boat house oh, yeah. and like it's on the river. <laughs> it, it's like my dream house. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, uh, most may or may not know this, but Lorraine Warren... Um, is a very well-known medium and psychic. And when she first walked into the house, she described it as an overwhelming sense of sadness and depression through the entire house. After entering the basement, Ed felt a powerful, inhuman presence. It was as if I were standing underneath a waterfall. Ed recalls it in a later interview. And the pressure was driving me down to the floor. And I commanded in the name of Jesus Christ what was there to reveal its identity. I understood right at that point that what we were dealing with was no ghost. This was no ordinary haunted house. Now, after conducting their initial investigation, the Warrens put together a group of professional psychics to assist them in their findings. And the Warrens would often do this when they would go to towns. They would uh, they would enlist local psychics and sometimes. Um, their own kind of like protégés. Sure, that yeah, were with them. Uh, you know, or they would get enlisted and become part of that group, one or yeah. the other, yeah. And uh, well, there will be an episode we do in the future that described kind of Ed's teaching methods. 
I would love to learn. I I, I love Ed Warren, man. He, like, he was he was pretty much a like. <laughs> are you scared? Yeah. You well should. then, <laughs> you can either drink this hot chocolate and leave, or drink this hot chocolate and stay. I don't blame you either way. <laughs> and I would be like, I'm gonna do all of the above. I'm gonna try it one more time, then leave. Absolutely need to cover the Warrens for sure. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get them one day. That's gonna be a fun one. Mm-hmm. Now the Channel Five news team uh, that consisted of Marvin Scott, Steve. Petropolis, that is just such a news name, mm-hmm. and Laura DiDio. I'm Steve Petropolis. That is good. That's good. Covered the Warren's investigation on the night of March 6th, 1976. A friend of the Warren's, Mary Parcella, traveled along to the house during the March 6th investigation. Mary considers herself a quote-unquote time walker, a person who is able to sense and sometimes visualize past events in a particular location. Now, I personally have had experiences like this mm-hmm. where I've been in a location and had flashes. It happened when we were at the um, Whispers Estate. Right. I was having a lot of flashes there. Mm-hmm. And there's this a, is the there's first a term time I found for, a name for it that's it. not Time Walker. There's an actual term for it, yeah. and I can't think of what it is. It's like um, Claire Clairvoyance. Cr- Claire cr- cr- there, There's a there's a Because it's also tied in with people that can touch pictures and see the past. Clairvoyance? I'll, I'll have know. to look it up some I'm other time. I'm making words at this point. Um, but there, there is an official term for it. Oh, cool. I'll have to find that out. The house at 112 Ocean Avenue was no exception. I began to say my prayers, and I was saying the Our Father. Recalls Mary Priscilla in a 2002 interview. I looked out of the door, and as I was saying the Our Father, there was a group of figures saying the Our Father backward. Now that feeds yeah, nope. so much into satanic panic. Nope, no thank you. Um, that was all the rage, too, that, you know, like the the black masses and saying the Father backwards. Yeah. That was such a fabricated thing. I always have issues with that, but that's just me. But we're, we're so far from the satanic panic now. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we, uh, but anywho. it's such a distant memory. Now, Mary was not the only one who experienced strange events that night. Channel 5 cameraman Steve Petropoulos reportedly suffered a rash of heart palpitations and shortness of breath while climbing the staircase. The Warrens say they also felt a cold spot on the staircase. A detail George Lutz has since says he has also experienced. Interesting. Now, during the first seance, Mary Priscilla also became ill and was ushered out of the room. There seems to be some kind of black shadow that forms ahead and it moves. Mary claimed. And as it moves, I feel personally threatened. Another psychic... Alberta Riley made similar claims during the seance. It's upstairs in the bedroom. What's here makes your heart speed up. My heart's pounding. Whatever is here is, in my estimation, most definitely of a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who had once walked the earth in human form. It is right from the bowels of the earth, insists Lorraine Warren. Whatever is here is able to move around at will. It doesn't have to stay here, but I think it's a resting place. Man, now I don't want to jump the gun, but do you did you talk do you talk about the picture of the the figure they found? The little boy? Yeah. I don't have it in here, but it was on my it was in my notes to discuss. Okay. So we can go ahead and discuss it. Let's do it right now, because this is when it all happened. So they took multiple pictures. Yeah. The Warrens, this whole team they found, and nothing. They saw nothing in these pictures, except for this one. And I have goosebumps, because it freaks me out 
every time mm-hmm. is there's a little boy peeking around the corner. His eyes are glowing. I mean, this is not a, oh, if you know, if you lighten it up and you look a certain way, you can kind of see a kid. No, it is a child. <laughs> it is full on. You can see it's striped shirts. And there was no one else there. Even the news team was like, we were there when it was photographed. Mm-hmm. We will back this up 100%. It is literally the only piece of evidence from the entire thing. And uh, wasn't it also speculated that it was one of the, um, one of, shoot. The DeFeo kids? The DeFeo. Wasn't it like the DeFeo's youngest son is who it was supposed to be? That's that's what they say. I saw a thing and even Ronnie said that it looked like his his little brother. Yeah, it looked like his little brother. It's creepy. I mean, it gives me goosebumps to this day. It's, to me, the most substantial, greatest piece of evidence I've ever seen for a paranormal thing. Yeah, it just looks like a photo of a person. Yeah, and they didn't even see it until weeks later. Yeah, the glowing eyes got me. Yeah, it's just creepy because I told you kids creep me out, man. (laughs) (laughs) The Warrens felt the house could only be saved through a cleansing performed by an Anglican exorcist or a Roman Catholic priest. George and Kathy Lutz say they were not willing to take on this responsibility. They'd be putting uh, their life in jeopardy. How can you go and ask someone to do that for a house? George laments. George and Kathy decided they couldn't risk moving their children back into the house. They returned the property to Columbia Savings and Loans on August 30th, 1976. And for the remainder of their lives, George and Kathleen Lutz maintain that their experiences in Amityville were real. Now, I have a couple quotes here from a couple interviews. Uh, The first one is from Kathleen Lutz in 2000. Some people have called our testimony about Amityville a hoax. There's nothing that I could say to them. There's nothing I could show them that would be new evidence that it is the truth. It is the truth. It is my testimony. It is where I come from, and to judge another's testimony, not having experienced it, not having gone through it, or been touched by it, you don't have the right to. Yours, yours is just an opinion, an opinion that doesn't hold water. And then this one is from George Lutz in 2002. It's my prayer that everyone in this room never go through such a thing. But if you know someone that does... The hardest thing for those people is the loss of being able to communicate with anyone else about it. Not being able to find anyone that can intelligently help them. It's not talked about. It's not understood. And when it happens to you, you become an alien to everyone else. Yeah. I mean, that, that's been my experience, like in life, experiencing paranormal stuff and People like, but did you really? It's like, I mean, I know what I experienced. I, I would say one of the big reasons we started the Fearscape podcast and radio show was to put our stories out there yeah. um, and to tell people that are out there, hey, we believe you. So that's why we're constantly asking people to send in their listener stories. We believe you or we will do our best to believe you. Mm-hmm. And I know we're comedians and we make light of things a lot of times, but it's still super important to us. And we absolutely believe that there are things out there and we want to find the truth behind it. And I think that's why we put our that's why we put our our talents behind it, because I feel like it eases the subject mm-hmm. and it allows people to see that ghosts and hauntings and the paranormal isn't all scary. I've had more positive paranormal experiences than I've had negative. There are some negative inhuman experiences that occur, mm-hmm. but those those are just they're just marbles in a pond. And it's like we said, um, you just may have not 
gotten the opportunity to experience it yet. Yeah. You know, you may not have been touched by that supernatural light switch that we talk about that flips on the first time you experience it. And when you do, oh girl, hold on tight. And maybe, you know, our brains work different than mm-hmm. most. Sure, you might call it a hallucination, but we might call it this. I mean, how can I hallucinate something I've never seen before and people can find evidence of it, right? You know, like my sister. The, Palo the, Santo. Yeah, but Palo Santo or my sister telling the story of the old man with glasses who was nervous about me falling and come mm-hmm. to find out an old man with glasses had fallen to his death at my house, yeah. right? How, mm-hmm. how, how is that hallucination, right? Yeah. So we want to believe, uh, you know, and uh, I, I think the idea that George and Kathleen Lutz made this up came from i think after the fact that they realized it was a money maker mm-hmm. and so they decided what the heck let's make money off of it like any of us would do yeah um i think that's where that came from oh they're money grubbers mm-hmm. well yeah at that point they got to make a living now this is what's attached to them it's become what they're known for yeah absolutely. i mean i didn't Sell tell you rights. this but i actually met george lutz uh, i was 13 years old uh, he was at a um, haunted house that I went to, him and one of the guys that played Michael Myers, mm-hmm. um, and I got to meet them. I, 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 At that point, I didn't, I had never seen Amityville or anything like that, so I didn't even know who he was. It wasn't until years later that I realized, like, looking back at an old poster, oh, my God, that's <laughs> like, who I met. Oh. You know, that's who I met. And uh, he just seemed, from what I remember being 13, just a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> so... Now, the Amityville Horror franchise had its early beginnings in March of 1976 when William Weber, attorney for Butch DeFeo, sent a book contract to the Lutzes, which covered a proposed company, the Hoffman, Weber, Burton, and Mars Corporation. Like Weber, Mars, Burton, Kathy, and George Lutz were to receive each 12% of the shares of HWBM. Since Paul Hoffman was the writer, he would receive the largest share, 40%. Right. Now, uh, something that I saw in that documentary I want to quickly talk about on mm-hmm. one of the negative documentaries that I saw is that when meeting with Butch DeFeo, he was going, or excuse me, with um, the attorney Weber, uh, he was going through a lot of the old case files of the DeFeo and everything, and all of a sudden from what I've heard that's when he started sharing similarities Mm. of things that happened with the DeFeos Um, you know 315 uh, the getting cold things like that there's a lot of things that happened to DeFeo that according to this documentary didn't come out until after he had met with Weber and went through those files just like I said I like to hit the skeptic side too oh yeah absolutely now the Lutzes terminated their proposed venture with Weber because they felt he wanted to tie them up with an unfavorable contract. Instead, the Lutzes chose to go with author Jay Anson. The contract they eventually signed with Anson offered a more lucrative split of 50-50. Nevertheless, this did not stop Hoffman from selling two articles about the Lutzes' experiences. Yeah, Jay Anson was a great writer. Like I said, I actually read the book before I ever saw the movie. It's mm-hmm. an excellent book. He wrote another book called 666, and it's about haunted houses again. Oh, nice. Uh, it's a fiction book, yeah. uh, but it's out of print, so I'm gonna try. I'm trying to find a, a used copy. I want to read it because i uh, very impressed with his. Before that, he just wrote a lot of, like, articles and yeah. things like that but yeah he was he was looking to get in the first article appeared in an issue of the new york sunday news on july 18th 1976 titled quote life in a haunted house <laughs> That's a great name <laughs> the second titled our dream house was haunted 
<laughs> and appeared in the April 1977 edition of Good Housekeeping. Oh, man, back when that was an actual like <laughs> publication people read all the time. Both articles were nearly identical and were based on the experiences that the Lutzes, Weber, and Hoffman brainstormed in January of 1976. In May 1977... Ooh, that's like right around when Star Wars was released. <laughs> <laughs> in May of 1977, George and Kathy Lutz filed suit against Paul Hoffman, William Weber, Bernard Burton, Frederick Mars, Good Housekeeping, New York Sunday News, and the Hearst Corporation. Hearst. That's Patty Hearst. Hearst Corporation. Yeah, Hearst, that's, that's that from the... Oh, yeah, go ahead. In the suit, the Lutzes alleged invasion of privacy misappropriation of name for trade purposes and negligent infliction of mental distress they sought relief in the form of 4.5 million dollars so that's 1977 right yeah inflation calculator what do we got what'd you say it was 4.5 million that would be drum roll 19 million dollars <laughs> In not today's a, money. Not a bad chunk of change. Nope. <laughs> now, in turn, Hoffman, Weber, and Burton each placed a counterclaim against the Lutzes for $2 million, citing they had perpetrated a fraud and breached a contract. Wow. Judge Jacob Mishler dismissed the claims against Good Housekeeping Sunday New York Sunday News. I'm just going to call it Sunday, Sunday, Sunday News. Sunday News. And the Hearst Corporation. Hearst. Hearst, Hearst Corporation. <laughs> Because there were no invasion of privacy issues and because the plaintiffs had failed to state a claim upon which relief could be granted to them. Judge Judge Michelin, man. (laughs) Judge Michler. Judge Michler, however, eventually handed the case over to Judge Jack B. Weinstein. When the actual trial began, Judge Weinstein, known to be a no-nonsense judge, presided over the case in the Brooklyn U.S. District Court. And on September 10th, 1979, George Weinstein, wow, Judge Weinstein dismissed the rest of the Lutz's suit and allowed the defendant's counterclaim to continue. He said, quote, Based on what I have heard, it appears to me that a large extent the book is a work of fiction, relying in a large part upon the suggestion of Mr. Weber. (laughs) That was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) In the September... September 17, 1979 issue of People Magazine, Weber reasoned, quote, I know this book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. And that quote, it, it comes out a lot. Yeah, it does. In a lot of the documentaries and I read everything. it in a lot of articles. A lot. A lot. <laughs> they, they found that quote and they held on tight yep. to that. <laughs> Wait, haunted in wine? Hold Ooh. on to that. <laughs> Judge Weinstein also pointed out that he saw serious ethical questions regarding Weber and Burton's conduct. Therefore, he proposed to refer the entire matter to the New York State Bar Association. Judge Weinstein said, There is a very serious ethical question when lawyers become literary agents. (laughs) The next day, the counterclaim was conveniently settled and the entire case was dismissed. Now, this is where we get into the hoax side of it. Ooh. Man, we weren't there yet. Here we are. <laughs> the facts presented in the Lutz versus Weber lawsuit show the ghost stories surrounding the DeFeo house to be questionable at best. Moreover, facts uncovered in the suit told a very different story about Father Ralph Pecoraro, Pecor- Pecoraro, a.k.a. 
Father Mancusco, then the one presented by J. Anson's fictional novel. There are discrepancies between what was written in Anson's book about Father Pecoraro. I'm going to have so much trouble with Father this. Father P. Father P. He is Father P from now on. Father P, you're welcome. You get a cool name. And what George Lutz described in the civil case against Weber. Anson's book said that Father P had met George Lutz two years earlier and that he, quote, He had helped Kathy and George in the days before they were married. Now, this was an interrogation question where they found the first bit of uh, inconsistency. So this uh, was an interrogation question asked uh by the investigators of the suit asking George Lutz when he first met uh, the Reverend. And they asked, state whether or not you know the Reverend Ralph P. If so, state the date, time, and place you first met. And over objections, George Lutz answered, On or about July 14th, 1975, uh, 1 p.m., 258 Sunrise Highway, Rockville Center, New York. Kathy's response to the same question was, Uh, On or about July 30th, 1975, I spoke to him on the telephone. Well, that sounds like two different people meeting somebody. Yeah, I mean, they're just meeting at From everything I heard that Kathy met met him first anyways, that's something I had already heard. Yeah. Whatever. Now, after reading the Lutz's answers, it became evident that Father P did not know the Lutz's for any applicable amount of time prior to their arrival at Amityville. It should also be noted that the Lutzes were married on July 4th, 1975, so Father P could not have offered guidance to the Lutzes before they were married. Oh. And as we said earlier... (laughs) Watch that calendar, bro. (laughs) They had claimed that he is the individual that pretty much helped them through their marriage up to getting married. So they must have been Catholic then, because my brother had to do that. Yeah, Catholic or Anglican, which is Episcopalian, you do. You have to have counseling first. Yeah, my brother did that. That was a really long wedding. It was like 45 minutes. I fell asleep. Hey, it was shorter than mine. Well, it was 40, <laughs> It was 45 minutes, and I was I was one of the groomsmen, so I'm just standing up there falling asleep at the stadium. <laughs> Padium, hey, you were at mine for like an hour holding a, a piece of... <sighs> a piece of fossil that ended up like infecting my energy <laughs> and causing a whole lot of issues. Anyways... <laughs> Moreover, Father P's relationship to the case was described in an affidavit from William DeLay, the Lutz's then-attorney. It read, Father Ralph J. P. has in... (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it again. Please keep this in. This is funny. (laughs) I will. I'll do it again. It read, Father Ralph P. has indicated that his only contact relating to this case was a telephone call from the Lutz's regarding their psychic experiences. In fact... William Weber claimed during a radio interview that the priest never even set foot in the house. The Amityville horror hoax was taking a whole new direction. Now, come on. He's the guy that discovered the flies, man. He's the one that's the one that was like, don't go in the sewing room. There's tons of flies tons in there, of flies. Don't which touch some the skeptics have said that, hey, that's, you know, one of the rooms where one of the people died. So it, 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 and the bodies were in there for a while. So flies could have could just be some kind of residual had, scent. Well, not even residual scent, but just had like already hatched and laid eggs in there because yeah. the house was closed off for a long time. That's true. Or I mean, anything, anything. I don't know. I don't know. Now, during the trial. Father P Are you with me? testified over the phone and denied of any of the so-called supernatural afflictions that Anson claimed the priest had suffered in his book. Bull. That was the church cracking down on him. Mm-hmm. That's, That's my exactly opinion. what it was. That's my opinion. He also told Judge Weinstein 
that he was not sure if there were any supernatural supernatural <laughs> supernatural occurrences at the house. According to Newsday, Father P allegedly stated that when he went to bless the house, that he did, in fact, hear someone say, Get out. The priest's description was vague at best, so a number of explanations could exist. Since Father P is now deceased, it remains unclear if he was a willing participant in the Amityville hoax or an uninformed bystander. Therefore, it seems likely that despite his reluctant and often contradictory claims, Father P's visit to 112 Ocean Avenue might never have occurred. And after all, the Lutz's then attorney had originally told the court that Father P's only connection to the case was a phone call from the Lutz's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, before that, he was saying he heard, get out. Dude got scared and... I'm going gonna, gonna to listen to the ghosts. He went to try to go to, you know, just like all the movies you see. They try to go mm-hmm. to Catholic Church to come in, and they're like, nah, brah, nah, nah, which is why Ed Warren had to become an exorcist himself. Yeah. Okay? I totally believe it. And they, they told him, hey, you're making us look bad because of Satanic Panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Yeah. Now, after several repeated requests... The Diocese of Rockville Center finally broke its years of silence and commented on the Amityville hoax case. Ooh, I mean, I'm ready for this. I haven't heard this. Oh, yeah. In May 15th, 2002, letter to Rick Osuna. That's the guy that wrote the book we talked about last time on the mm-hmm. DeFeo murders. In response to his questions regarding the ghost stories, the assistant to Vicar General wrote, The diocese maintains that the story was a false report. In November of 1977, diocesan attorneys prepared a substantial list to be submitted to the publisher of the Amityville Horror of numerous inaccuracies, factually incorrect references, and untrue statements regarding events, persons, and occurrences that never happened. Father P. was eventually transferred to an entirely different diocese where he purportedly was forbidden to practice certain Catholic rites. But this claim, alleged by Jim and Barbara Cromartery, Cromartery? Cromarty? Cromarty, during a press conference in 1979, has not been substantiated by the church. Either way, the Diocese of Rockville Center, responsible for the Amityville area, denied that any psychic events took place or affected clerical officials, as reported in Jay Anson's book. So, here's the question we all want to know. Did Ronald DeFeo Jr., the man who murdered his family, make any money off this? Yeah, sometimes I hear he made 5% off something. Sometimes I hear that he didn't make anything because you can't, you know, you couldn't make things Mm -hmm. in prison, blah, 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 blah. What do you got for me? I have a letter from William Weber to Ronald DeFeo Jr. So Weber's the lawyer. Weber is the, uh, he is the lawyer, and he is sending this to Ronald DeFeo Jr., who at this time is in prison. And this is the letter. Dear Ronnie, Hans Holzer has come up with an offer which he believes will lead to another offer involving a large sum of money. An independent television producer is paying $10,000 to Holzer for a television article about you and your trial. Mr. Holzer has agreed to pay you $2,000 and Bernard Burton and myself $2,000 each for participating in this venture with him. Only because it might lead to another offer from a book publisher I recommend that we accept this offer immediately. I am making arrangements with the jail officials for an interview with you. I have told Professor Holzer 
that on the date of this interview with you, he must have a certified check in the sum of $2,000 payable to you directly. Hopefully to see you as soon as possible. I remain very truly yours, William E. Weber. Man, uh, so Hans Holzer was a very famous uh, parapsychologist mm-hmm. back in the day from like the 50s, 60s. He was big time. I mean, oh, yeah. he is what we look at and Lorraine Warren now mm-hmm. as. That's how everybody looked at Hans Holzer. So like the the TV stations were always anxious to get on him. So that's yeah. a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah. Like, And they've realized they can't go through the LUTs, so they're going to go the DeFeo route. Yep. Very interesting. And it's, it's so weird because I guess under certain, certain circumstances, if a judge allows it, you yeah. can make money in prison. Yeah. So yeah. we need to make a really good horror story. I mean, one of us <laughs> needs to go to prison, so the other one doesn't we'll just send, send Ed. Just send Ed. He has the Louisville Murder House. Yeah, he does have the Louisville. <laughs> we could send Kelly. She's she's She could kick some butt in there. Heck, yeah, we can send Kelly there. Man, we, we could send all our friends to jail. It would be great. Yeah. We just make money off of and them. And then I wouldn't have to have any kind of actual responsibility for friendships anymore. Yeah. This is a great idea. Great. I it love this. Great. We can start our own Facebook called Murder Book. I don't know. Murder Book. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, um, I'm very excited about this. I'm glad, I'm glad we decided to do this. Yeah, this is, this was fun. Um, it was an interesting deep dive because I tend to sip on like, sip on like a whiskey or a wine while doing my research. It Mm -hmm. relaxes me, helps me focus. And I've now realized that just makes me go into like these crazy rabbit holes where I'm like, how did I get here? Hello, sir. Uh, which button do I press to get back to reality? It's insane. Yep, and uh, for those of you listening, uh, we do have, uh, w- you know, I'm sure some of you are thinking, why aren't we talking about the movies, right? Why aren't we talking about the movies, Stephanie? Because why are, why are we not talking about the movies? Because on the radio, we're an hour show, and we have, like, six minutes, oh. and there's a lot of movies, so... Yeah, this uh, is going to be a fun discussion. We can briefly <laughs> touch here on the first movie, but we will be discussing all the movies... Mm-hmm. Uh, uncut, uncut and uncensored. Yeah, on, a, on our podcast, so if you guys also listen to our podcast, sometimes we do put special stuff on there on the podcast version so look for that usually the wednesday after this airs Mm -hmm. on wchq so we will be offering on the day that it airs a special extended edition of this Mm -hmm. where you get to hear us discuss the films that came out of this in a uncensored uncut uncontrolled fashion right but for the radio show i just quickly i (laughs) I just quickly want to touch on the first film uh because it's one of my favorite movies of all time the first one came out in 1979 the year i was born simply put the amityville horror had a stellar cast it had um james brolin as george lutz margot kidder uh coming off her superman fame i mean she's killing at this point playing kathleen lutz yeah, she was okay, Lois Lane. So. Uh, also, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, st- uh, oh, I can't think of his name. The guy that played the priest. He was a famous actor. Oh, old... Stan Freeman. No, it's not Stan <laughs> Freeman. My, my brain is dead. I can't think of what his name is because I'm doing this off the top of my head because I love this movie. Yeah. Um, but it's great. It follows the book pretty closely, uh, but they really amp everything up. The pig face. Um, they really dig that where uh, George finds this like pit behind his wall yeah. uh, that's this black goo and the dog goes down in there and he comes out of it that's when they run he's covered in black goo i mean it's amazing um i absolutely love this film and it's it's scary still to this day it, it's it's a scary <laughs> movie i think it's one of the best haunted house movies ever made like yeah. uh, you know granted i love the conjuring movies and everything like that 
But this this one is so great, man. And they they just touch on that. They don't go into the Lorraine Warren and stuff. They go into that later. We'll we'll talk about that in the extended edition. Um, but man, like this movie is so good. <laughs> I, I love it, love it so much. So, but I wanted to quickly talk about it for our radio listeners. Well, let's just remember, you got to listen to the extended version because the rest of them. That's so Not good. So good. I watched a lot of them. I watched a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, let's get moving on. So that is um, that's that's Amityville. Do you have any final thoughts on that before we move into the um, listener story? I, I know I have mentioned this before in the original podcast you and I did like a year and a half ago, where we discussed Amityville very briefly. Um, oh at yeah, the time, I forgot about that. At the time, I was skeptical about it, and at this time, I'm still a little skeptical about it because it's been so long now. The the people that experienced this, the main two individuals, uh, George and Kathy Lutz, are no longer with us. The Warrens are no longer with us. We we can't go to those sources. We can't we can't find but out the kids, what happened. Kids are there, and I'm telling you, watch that documentary, My Amityville Horror. It'll mm-hmm. change your a complete perspective on it. This kid is homework, so kids. messed up because yeah. of everything. I mean, this dude is messed up and he talks was about Was this that. the youngest son? Yeah. This was. And okay. he talks about everything and he's like, you are the Lutzes, there. not the DeFeos. Yes. That would be really, <laughs> of the Lutz family. really confusing. He's not a Lutz though. He was Kathleen's kid in a previous marriage, but okay. well, still, still, he was a part of that blended family. Yeah. Um, but he, my God, man, like the stories that he tells and just, I mean, he gets real about George. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gets in there, but Definitely check that out, it, and you should read the book too. The book is good. Oh yeah, it's uh. What am I finishing right now? Right now I'm finishing. Uh, I'm reading the Ender Games saga. Oh, I'm so on good. book three, Xenocide. And then I did I'll not have, know uh, you were into Ender's Game. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then I have the fourth book, which is uh, Mind Child or something like that. Children, Children of the Mind. And then after I finish that one, I will be going in reading Amity. It's, it's good. It's a short read. It's not very long. It's, it's oh, really cool. good. I mean, it's not a very thick book. Anyways, we got to get to our listener story. So oh, yeah. we, like we said, we wrapped up on the Naoma stories. And so um, next week she'll be on. <laughs> that's right. So I had some folks um, hit me up. I've been hitting up like haunted um, Facebook pages and stuff and had haunted someone pages. hit me up uh, on haunted Kentucky. And uh, this comes from Jessica Whitfield. And so before we get into our story, just a reminder to please send your stories, uh, either Facebook, you can message us on there on the Fearscape podcast page, or you can uh, email us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. And you'll see this one. This one's not a long one, but Mm -hmm. this is what we're looking for. All right. So this comes from Jessica Whitfield. Read it to me. My mom tells me that I had an imaginary friend when I was a kid. I didn't remember anything about that. Then my dad told me the name of the invisible friend, and I remembered. Only I don't remember him being invisible. I remember seeing a little boy, and I thought that he lived in the neighborhood. But my parents couldn't see him and thought he must be an imaginary friend. The last time I saw him, he had climbed up high in a tree where I couldn't get to. He told me that he couldn't come over to play anymore. I thought that his family was moving away, so I asked him if I could come visit him, and he said no. He said he was going somewhere that I couldn't go, and that he would never be back. He disappeared after that, and I never saw him again. So I either had an extremely vivid imagination, or I was like the Sixth Sense kid who sees dead people. Seeing dead people. Bruce Willis would love this to play yeah. a supporting character. I, I have, all, I will always be a proponent that uh, imaginary friends are actual spirits. 
uh, not necessarily ghosts, but I mean, you know, like fairies or something along those lines, some sort of spirit uh, that kind of helps kids get through stuff. That's my opinion. Oh, yeah. Uh, though I do love the movie Drop Dead Fred, uh, <laughs> which is my favorite movie about that. Um, but yeah, uh, highly recommend that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in as usual. Remember to listen to the podcast if you want to hear the uncut version of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get fun. Um, but also make sure to check us out, uh, Fearscape Podcast. That's on Twitter and Instagram at Fearscape Podcast. Or find us on Facebook, please, and like us there because we share a lot of articles oh, yeah. and a lot of spooky news all the time on it's there. It's not just here, it's everywhere. It, it's everywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, and on that, we want to go ahead and uh, get on out of here. So I'm about to jump over to the podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm Stefan, and I will catch you on the flip side. And I've been Brad. Hold those blinkies extra tight. Good night, folks. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. <laughs> Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. Ha 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 